it started with me. I, I really hated myself for years. So I had to learn self-compassion. I had no idea where to start. As a vegan, do you ever feel like you're living in a parallel universe, aware of things that many others don't even seem to notice, let alone acknowledge? I'm Chrissy Benson, host of the Vegan Posse podcast. We talk with vegans from around the globe who, like you, are living lives of integrity and compassion with an eye toward justice through their personal stories. You'll come to see that you're not an outlier. In fact, you're part of an entire posse of individuals who aren't just keeping the peace, they're creating it through their food choices, and beyond. You won't be saddling up, but you're in for the ride of your life. Welcome to the Vegan Posse. Hey, Posse. It's your host, Chrissy Benson. My novel, Marrying Myself, the anti-romance romance with a vegan twist, which came out in November 2022, really got me thinking about the concept of committing to love, honor, and be true to you. I'm now in the process of writing a self-help companion guide to marrying myself, and I could use your help. I'd love to hear what role veganism has played in your own self-love journey. Let me know. You can reach me through my website, christinemelaniebenson.com. Thanks, guys. And now, on to our episode. Today, the Vegan Posse welcomes Mariquita Solis. Mariquita is a vegan empowerment coach and visionary behind the Empowered Vegans live stream show. As a transformational coach, Mariquita specializes in empowering individuals through personalized one-on-one and group coaching programs. Her expertise lies in guiding people from anger, depression, and frustration toward inner peace, personal power, and effective activism. With her leadership, Mariquita is a trusted authority in the vegan coaching realm dedicated to creating positive change in the world. Mariquita, welcome to the Vegan Posse. Are you ready for the ride of your life? (laughs) Yes, I'm ready. I'm excited. Thanks for having me. My pleasure. So why don't you start off by telling us a little about yourself? Where are you from and where'd you grow up? So I was born in Chattanooga, Tennessee. I did not know that. (laughs) Chattanooga. (laughs) Because I'm in I'm in Nashville. I don't know if you knew that. No, I didn't. No, I love Nashville. It's a beautiful city. Yeah. Yeah. I played a lot of tennis tournaments as a, until I was about 15, 10 to 15, eight to 15 competitive tennis. So I loved going all over the States, you know, Nashville, Murfreesboro, traveling everywhere. Yeah. Yeah. That also helped me later in life, really being dedicated and being persistent sports. I really Mm -hmm. taught some life lessons. So Right, right. So yeah. what role if any did animals play in your life as a kid? Well, I remember I'll never forget having just little puppies, some little puppies and and my heart broken because one of them was named Sugar Plum and I remember Sugar Plum didn't look well and I remember writing in my little diary that I was so sad that Sugar Plum had passed and praying for her and that was, I think, the first realization, the kind of a connection with a little animal that I had. And we I had a little pony also. And I, I think for some reason, we were told that the ponies had been hit by a train. And I don't even know if that was true now. It's kind of sad. I don't, you know, I, you think you hear things when you're a child, or maybe they don't want to tell you we took your ponies, who knows. But yeah, I always wonder about that, too. It, it's just interesting just looking as an adult on, on a child's point of view. Right. Right. So you had, this was a pet pony or you had a couple of ponies, a pet pony, my own pet pony. And one day she was just gone. Well, the story was, well, that I guess during the winter, they would go off to a different area. Oh, I don't know. I don't really. Yeah. I just remember thinking, what, how could the, how could the ponies be somewhere? They'd be hit by a train. That didn't make any sense to me. That's a very strange, very strange story. You yeah. never asked your parents about it as an adult? No, I didn't think about it till later. Now my parents have passed, you know, and I, and I, I just, it was put in the back for a long yeah. time. Later, I thought, wait a minute. Right, <laughs> right. Happened? That doesn't add up. Yeah. 
Yeah. Wow. Very interesting. So did you ever think about the connection between animals and food? No, I didn't. I didn't. And in fact, I was very hardened to it. I remember seeing deer in the in the basement, you know, looking at the deer. And so I took photography in high school. I remember taking photos of the deer, but there wasn't any sure I'm sure I felt sad but it wasn't like this deep compassion I would have now that I do have now that's been developed it was just the same old like well this is part of life here's the deer and that's the way it goes right yeah and you were in Tennessee so there's definitely that culture here where there's you know hunting and a lot of farm life. And yeah, it is, it is funny. And I love that you mentioned about cultivating compassion, because I think that's a great point. I think people sometimes assume that, you know, we have it automatically, which we do, of course, but it can also grow (laughs) and expand. Have you found that in your own life? Well, yeah, that's exactly what I had to do to be where I am today as a coach is it started with me. I I really hated myself for years. So I had to learn self-compassion. I had no idea where to start. And so it was through that journey of really learning self-compassion really helped me have a greater compassion for all living beings and seeing every blade of grass as a beautiful living being and worthy of respect and dignity and gratitude. So- Mm. Yeah, that makes sense. And I definitely want to talk a lot more about that journey. Um, But I'm curious as a kid and as a teenager, why, why did you hate yourself? Was it, was it body image stuff or was it just, you know, you know, normal teenage angst? Well, I think as a child, I wasn't really taught to use my voice. It was more like children should be quiet and especially women. So I didn't develop, I did develop confidence in the ten on the tennis court, but when it came to dating and other things, I didn't value myself at all. So that, that really created many, many years of pain and, and, and self torment. And I don't, I don't think it was, um, well, it wasn't intentional, of course, by my parents. They that was my parents from Mexico, and so that's a very male dominated dominated culture, and yeah, so it was more cooking and cleaning for the women. But then I was in, so I lived in Tennessee, and I felt very confused about who I was as my identity. And my parents wanted really, you know, were like had me in braids, the little, the just the more of a Mexican look which was fine, but I didn't really like that. I was wanted to be an American girl, right? Because Mexico, I was in America. And so I was conflicted here. And so it was a lot of confusing times for me as a child and always feeling like, well, I'm the brown one at school. And that seems strange also, but I didn't want to be different because most kids don't want to be different, but that's the way it was. And so it took me years to to really love who I was and to believe in myself and to know that, you know, I deserve the best and and that we all do. We all deserve the best. We all deserve a happy, fulfilling life. We just caught, get caught in this self torment and these, these false beliefs that hold us down. Yeah. I relate to that quite a bit. (laughs) I think a lot of us, a lot of us do, especially women. Did you have brothers and sisters? I had one brother and we're very close. And uh, that was, he's a year younger. And then when I was 12, I was praying and praying for a little, a little sister. And she came when I was 12 and that's a very interesting relationship. We were very close, but then there was the me leaving away from college, you know, leaving to go to college. And then that caused a rift and it really hasn't been ever repaired. Hmm. But. Yeah, there, there's so many just tragedies that happen in families, you know, that that don't fall into the traditional category of tragedy. But it's it's just amazing how much stuff happens emotionally and internally that sometimes is never really acknowledged. Wow, that's 
That's very poignant. Yeah. About you and your sister. I relate somewhat. My brother, my younger brother is seven years younger than me. And so he was, he was a kid when I went off to college. And so it took, took a long time for us to reconnect as adults. Um, so what kind of foods were you eating growing up? Was it a lot of the traditional Mexican foods? Did your parents do a lot of, you know, the you know, cooking of all the traditional Mexican dishes, or did you guys gravitate to the more of an American diet? Well, I ate a lot of beans and tortillas. My mom would make um, homemade tortillas for us. I used to help her and that was fun. And, and she made a lot of real, real authentic Mexican food. So, but then we also had the standard American diet and eating hamburgers and the things that that we grow up eating hot dogs without any question. So, yeah. And, and then my parents never were vegan. They ate a lot of vegan food because my brother and I are vegan, but they, oh. <laughs> so yeah. <laughs> so, but they never were fully vegan, but they, of course I still love them. I know a lot of vegans that have issues with that, but um, they did the best they could. They still were in that old mindset for Mexico which is not there and there's no fault here. It's just the way it was. So, yeah. I mean, as you know, and have experienced, we're all just conditioned into <laughs> eating a certain way. And some of us ask some questions that cause us to, you know, buck that conditioning and go vegan for instance, but most, most people don't. So how, how did you end up going vegan or was well, it vegetarian to begin with? It was vegetarian in 95. My brother showed me meat your meat, that three minute clip. Oh. Yeah. So and he I, had already gone vegetarian? Well, it was probably the same day, weekend that he saw it. It was very soon after he saw it. And then, then we went vegetarian and, and I don't even know when it happened. I went vegan and then I went back to vegetarian because of just the not enough support and then the addictive quality of food and also not accessible enough. So I mean, we're, I feel very blessed that things are so have changed so much. But yeah, got back on to on vegan and really have done a lot of activism and have a lot of great friends here in Georgia, Georgia Animal Rights and Protection. I just went to a few, I mean, a lot of events recently at the aquarium and over here at the circus. So it's great to have support and, and eat, enjoy times with like-minded vegans. Right. Right. Speaking of aquariums, you're being from Chattanooga. My parents have family friends who live in Chattanooga and there's a big aquarium there, as I'm sure you, you know, and their family friends volunteer at the aquarium, which is, you know, nice that they want to help and have that volunteer instinct but they keep urging me to to come visit and promising to take me to the aquarium and i keep saying i'm not going to patronize an aquarium it's it is funny the disconnect but i i know i'm preaching to the choir with that so how how was it making that shift to vegetarian and then vegan how long was the non-vegan vegetarian period of time oh it was for years I don't know how yeah. many years. you know 95 till gosh maybe 10 years yeah really yeah of time. it wasn't fast because mm -hmm. I was like a lot of vegetarians who think well I'm doing I'm doing great I'm really helping but right and the yeah it's it took me a while too I was vegetarian I don't know if it was 10 years but it was very close and so what do you remember was there a day that you went vegan or was there a moment where you you know just decided for yourself this vegetarian isn't enough I need to do this all the way I well I was eating a lot of cheese I did have it's kind of funny the old tofurkeys <laughs> the old tofurkey little loaf at Thanksgiving which it was it was enough so yeah. Yes, but no. So, um, and then was there a particular day where you made that vegan leap? And, and do you remember what it was that just prompted you to go all in? Well, I did watch. Now I can't remember. It was a farm 
sanctuary documentary. It was an old one. I can't remember the name of it, but it really seeing the, the I remember seeing the the cows with the, those their poor udders. Oh yeah, that, and that was so upsetting. Seeing that a peaceable kingdom that was the name of it. Oh, I love that movie. Yeah, that was powerful for me too because that one. Um, to refresh your memory, that documentary was really interesting because it told the story from the perspective of these farmers who had a change of heart. So it was it was through their human lens of, you know, they themselves coming to feel like, oh, I I don't feel good about doing this. I can't keep doing this. And so I, I love that movie. I highly recommend that one to everybody who hasn't seen it yet. So, yeah. So what was that transition like from vegetarian to vegan? Was that tough? Had you been eating a lot of dairy and eggs prior to that time? I think, yeah, it was tougher, definitely. And I, I don't even know what to say other than I, I struggled with it, but mm -hmm. yeah, I did it. And yeah. Yeah. And how about your brother? Were you kind of sharing this journey with him? Well, he was vegetarian for a long time, so we never... He did his own thing. I, I, I know mm. that he probably explored veganism during that. But then here, when he was in Atlanta, whenever he moved to Atlanta, maybe 15 years ago, at some point, he went vegan also. So I know that I was vegan for a while and he still was vegetarian. But, gotcha. but now yeah. we're both vegan. So it's very, it's a blessing because when we have our cookouts and everything, we, <laughs> we don't have to deal with right? We, we, it's always a vegan fest. So. Right. Right. Yeah. I have a similar situation. I have a brother and a sister like you and my brother is vegan. <laughs> so it definitely um, helps to have that vegan representation. And so just related to your, you know, emotional journey, how, how did you, you know, learn to just deal with that self-hatred and, and transform it into, you know, self, self-compassion and self-love. So I would, I was, it was in dating that I really was having all these struggles. Mm. They were showing there the most and really pretending to be someone I wasn't. So I had, I was dating a guy. It's, everything was so perfect. I thought like many times I thought it was perfect, but this one really, I felt like this is really even more perfect. Right? <laughs> and then <laughs> One day he said to me, well, you seem so wonderful. I, I'm looking to say, I'm wanting to know what's wrong with you. Right. And in that, you said that to you or you said that to yeah. me. Yeah. He said okay. that to me. I was terrified. <laughs> oh <my God>. Well, <laughs> what did you say? I didn't know. I didn't say anything. I just was like, I was just like, please, dear God, don't let him find out what's wrong with me. Cause I have a whole list of things that are wrong. With me. I'm trying to hide from you. <laughs> <laughs> right. I'm trying to pretend to be exactly who you want me to be. So yeah, well, that relationship didn't last forever, <laughs> needless to say. And then after that, I just, just took on that role of seeing what was wrong with me. And, and it was just, I had always been like that, but this one accelerated it. And so mm -hmm. I finally just remember just crying at night and and laying in my bed and not, I said, you know, I just can't, I can't go on like this anymore, hating myself and persecuting myself for this, ruining this wonderful relationship I had. But so, yeah, I, I looked up self-compassion and I found the book by Kristen Neff, self-compassion. I ordered it and I started reading that, really studying that and watching Oprah Soul Sunday and and, and another thing that happened, another light bulb moment that week was I was walking by the TV and I heard a voice and it was, the voice was saying, you are so loved. You're a child of God. And I was like, what are you talking about? Don't you know, I'm horrible. <laughs> and it was Joel Osteen. And whether you like Joel Osteen or not, he's, he was so passionate and so loving. And I needed to hear that whether you believe in God or not, I needed to hear that I was someone special and that really called out to me. So I was able to take initiative just from being at that, just that lowest level in my life mm. and really study, study these 
great minds who were living the self-compassionate life and, and to turn my life around and study the brain and neuroplasticity. And that's how I got into coaching and so right. the, the journey. Who is, I've heard the name Joel Olstein, but refresh my memory because I'm not, I can't recall who he is. He is the, the big minister in Lakewood. I think it's Lakewood Church. Oh, okay. Okay. Yes. And he they say I think he prosperity go, gospel, right? It's it's all Oh, gotcha. Them, yeah. Right? Yeah. So <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> sure, why not? I like yeah. that. Yeah, well, it's I mean, I really resonate with that. Like sometimes we hear the messages we need to hear, you know, at times from rather unlikely places and it doesn't, you know, it doesn't diminish the significance of that moment or the accuracy of that message. Um, so that's, so you really, you really went about this in a very methodical strategic way. It sounds like to learn how to love yourself. You didn't just kind of try. You really, it sounds like you really like, you know, set about learning what it takes. What, what did you learn in that process? Well, I learned that it's normal to have these negative thoughts that that 75% of the time our brain is running on those negative thoughts. And so that's okay. It's normal. And then we're on autopilot 95% of the time. And so really to be aware, and a lot of people are never aware of that. Like, what is that autopilot that's running? And so, and when we acknowledge that, that it's normal, then we can make shifts and, and we can catch ourselves. Like every time I'd have a negative thought, I would catch it and change it. I, I think I was, uh, I was in an interview, I think it was with Debbie Hampton and she had a, a severe brain injury and she really teaches people about how to change patterns in her and their thinking in their brain. And she's the one who said, I think you replace it with three positive thoughts than one negative thought. So, Interesting. Like, so it takes three positives to negate the one <laughs> negative Right. And you're building those pathways. So uh -huh. it's going to be more, the habit is going to be the positive instead of the negative. Of course, this takes time, but right. it, but it works. Right. So did you utilize affirmations? Yes, I did affirmations. Uh, I looked in the mirror and would talk to myself in the mirror and I did a lot of prayer or meditation, a lot of, yeah, a lot of calling the prayer lines. And just listening to Eckhart Tolle, who was another one, um, learning about the ego and and all these things that are really hindering us. It's like keep the fear-based elements instead of the the courage and love. So I, I learned how if if you if you are in living in fear, then that's blocking growth. It's blocking curiosity and wonder and expansion. So, and every cell of your body is feeling it. So when we're saying something, every cell of our body hears us and it's going to respond accordingly. If I get up and say, oh my gosh, today's going to be so hard. Every cell hears it and every cell says, all right, we're going into action. Today's going to be a hard day for you. Let's get going. <laughs> so I've shifted that. Thank God. And tell me this, how did your veganism factor into your self-esteem and self-love? Did that help? Well, yes, I think it definitely it helped because it, it, it's a connection to all living beings. And, and I can be proud of that. And I, I have been proud of that. It's, it, I feel like it's a greater awareness. It's a more, I'm more connected spiritually to the planet. Mm -hmm. So definitely something that, that, I want to, I want to make sure everything in my life is in alignment with this. It, it, it's all connected. So yes, Right. Right. But you were, it sounds like veganism, veganism alone wasn't enough to launch you into just self full self-compassion and self-love. It sounds like you still, you know, had, had more to learn about how to love yourself. Is that right? Right. Yes, exactly. And that, that helps me to be able to relate to vegans that are struggling in these areas of I'm not enough. That's what I struggled in for years. I'm not enough. And so many of my clients are living that. And, and so many activists are living that. And I want them to know they are enough. They're 
thank you for everything you're doing that you're a blessing there's the percentage of activists is so small so we all do our part and it's beautiful to honor that right right so what was your relationship with food like do, like, did you have health issues or did you struggle with weight or any of the other issues that tend to plague women these days? <laughs> so I always felt like I was fat. In fact, I Googled my name the other day and up came a photo of the tennis team. Of the, we had won the cha- state championship. And I remember thinking all through high school, I was fat, 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 even as a sixth grader, which makes me really sad. And I looked at the photo and of course I wasn't fat and again, it made me sad. And I think about my friends and high school, how they would like go get their plates and scrape off half in the trash, or they would dump soda on their plates. And, (sighs) and one of them would only once a day. And I'm so sad about seeing her because I see she's still struggling. And it breaks my heart. So yeah, and and the, the addictions to food have always been very challenging for me. Uh, but I've also been studying about sugar and fat and salt and that relationship. So I feel like I'm really empowering myself the more I know. And I also work with, we did it health. I just started working with them in October, I guess about six months ago, something like that. And I've really learned and have really grown in my food choices and I feel so much better. So it's been an exciting journey, but I'm also aware of the addictions still that are there and and how to go about those with gentleness and kindness towards myself and to move slowly into these, the new way of living. Right, right. And doing everything gently and with love and with ease is, is a learning experience for me as well. So what different food approaches did you try as a vegan? Well, what exactly do you mean by that? Well, like, did you try like um, whole food plant-based or raw or, you know, anything in particular, or was it just, you know, learning how to get the animal products out of your diet? Well, it was, it was always about get the animal products out of the diet. Sure. Sure. And and then, but yeah, just recently the whole food plant-based, I I also juiced a lot in the past, which I loved. Mm. I never went raw. I always felt like, oh my gosh, that seemed so overwhelming to me. But now yeah. that I've in the whole food plant-based communities, it doesn't seem so, so difficult. It seems like I could just do that a little bit and start learning. Nothing seems as challenging now because I have the support of people and I met people. So yeah, yeah. it's exciting when you have others showing you the way. It really is. That's been a key piece for me as well. Just going for me, one thing that was really powerful was just going to the annual animal rights conference and a few other vegan and animal rights conferences that are around the country, just because for me, it just, it was amazing to have veganism normalized (laughs) and to go to an event where everyone was vegan and everyone cared about these things. And in fact, some of them were, you know, even more obsessed with (laughs) with these issues than I was. Mm -hmm. So yeah, I definitely, for everyone listening, if you haven't been to an animal rights conference or veg fest or something along those lines, there's, for me, there's no, no substitute. Um, so how about your health? Did you feel changes in your body as you, you know, made this change in your, in how you were eating? Definitely. So I stopped, well, first I started the whole food plant based, really baking a lot of beans, eating a lot of beans and tortillas, just like my mom. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I kind of went back to that and rice and a lot of stir fry. So I did that for a while and then I stopped using oil and that was, and I started cooking with vegetable broth and I really felt better. And I lost like 15 pounds with the drop in the oil, which was exciting. It wasn't, I wasn't trying. I mean, sure. That's great. But ultimately it was about feeling good and putting the best foods in my body. So right. I, I've had to really learn that. So I always had hips as a girl and I, and I hated those. So I've learned, <laughs> I hated my hips. I've, I've learned to accept and, you know, and, and see those as beautiful now. And I'm never going to have, not lose enough weight to have 
no hips. You know, I used to like women with just like straight. I don't know why. I guess that's but anyway. But yeah, that's something that was on my journey. And and I think I would, my goal always used to be like, be so skinny that you won't have these hips. So <laughs> now my goal is to please eat healthy for your body, right? Like, because it's yeah. uh, simple. So things have changed. Yeah, it's it's very interesting. I've I've been through all of those thought processes too. I remember for me, when I was running a marathon, I ran my first marathon in... I think it was 2006 and I was always struggling with, you know, my weight and how my body looked. And I remember it was the day after I'd, I'd had my long run scheduled when you're doing marathon training, you know, you generally have one long run per week. And so I remember coming back from having run 17 miles or something and just looking, looking at myself in the mirror and looking at my body and saying, I'm not going to complain about you anymore. You just went 17 miles. You know, you can look like however, however you look, you know. Um, but it's it's so interesting, these standards we have for ourselves and how how entrenched these images are of what we should look like. It's it's very interesting. So thank you for thank you for just being vulnerable and honest about you know what went on in your head. So how did you make that leap to wanting to empower others to just have these similar expansions in their own minds and hearts about, you know, themselves and loving themselves? Well, I, I worked in social work for many years. I always felt, I always knew that my job was a healer. And I think that's why many of the the guys I was well, I was attracted to guys that had issues, you know, and it wasn't mean like that there were problems, but emotional pain. So, yeah. And so that was just what, who I was attracting, who I was attracted to. So it, I also felt that way in my work and I, I still want to heal and help, but I, I don't want to do it at the sacrifice of myself. So, right. Yeah. So I, I worked with children as a residential treatment coordinator, uh, group home. These were little boys from about five, five to nine years old. I was in charge of that home and it was, it was a great company. They had behavioral problems, self-esteem issues. And why were they in a group home in most cases? Pretty much none of them had a dad. And so they had, they had it, um, like anger management issues and a lot of them on medication. And now who knows if they should have been on the medication, if this wasn't not having strong role models. So I mean, it's easy to see poor children being heavily medicated. However, so we, we dealt with all these issues and then there was perpetrators little, I mean, it's sad to say, but yes, yeah, some of them were perpetrators and so they had they the been group. removed from their homes, like had DHS or, you know, some government they, authority yeah. intervened. Wow. Well, yes, they, they were. And so they, we, this was a group home. There was all sorts of ages. There was one house with girls and all the rest were boys. And I just happened to be with the smallest ones. I did work with the older ones and they weren't as combative. The small ones would try to get you, you know, if they got mad, they, they couldn't control themselves. And that's one mm. reason they were there, but they would, yeah. you know, try to hit you or hurt you. And uh. the older ones knew that they'd go to the home. So they wouldn't do that. But yeah. Mm-hmm. So that taught me a lot. I also worked with adults with uh, issues, behavioral problems, um, cognitive problems. So that was back in New Mexico when I lived there. And then when I came um, back to Atlanta and I was really struggling with my own issues and I I was able to break free is when I started thinking, how can I do this in a different format other than working, you know, in the residential treatment center in that field, social work. And that's when I thought, let me, let me find out about coaching. And I had talked to a friend, a young girl, and she was so beautiful. She's so beautiful. And I recognized there's something different about her. And I had asked her, this was years previous. I said, 
tell me about your parents. Like who, who molded this? this <laughs> right, thing? right. Right. And she said, well, my dad's a life coach. And so I remembered that from years before. And so I reached out to him and he said, oh my gosh, I just said, someone just said to me the other day, we need to, you need to start up a coaching program for people. And here you come out of the blue, right? Wow. Talk about serendipity. Right. So that's, that's how the journey started. I studied with him in Atlanta, Dr. Michael Shemeca. And then I wanted to learn more about feminine energy. And I studied with Claire Zamet. I took that same course. Did you? Okay. Power course. Yes. Right. yes. <laughs> so when was, did you, when did you come do that course? That was um, probably two and a half years ago two something like that. Two and a half years ago. Yeah. That so. might've been, yeah, I didn't, I might've been in the same, in the same, um, you know, same circle or same, you know, session. That's funny because yeah, it was only a couple of years ago, maybe that I did it. Yeah. Very interesting. What did, what kinds of concepts and teachings did you take from that course or just any of the other things you were studying? Well, I really saw the power of the group and how transformative that is. I saw that we all need each other, that, 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 that when we shut down ourselves, that we can't be expansive and really to, that we have to center in on that strength and really be in that solid space before we can even start really blooming. So, yeah, and and the resources of all the universe is what I learned that that when we feel alone and we just sit here and wait for them to come to us, it's not going to happen. That we have to take action, and it's there once we do take action. Right, right. And what do you think about you know the power of the feminine as opposed to just the more masculine varieties of power that are so prevalent in our society? Well, I think the feminine is so beautiful because it's all coming together as a unity and it's not one on top of each other, one trying to up the other one in the masculine. And that's, it's not linear, it's discovery. The feminine is about wondering and discovery. And that's so important as vegan activists and as in my daily life. In fact, I just took a, a group coaching with another feminine power sister and talking about prosperity like I wonder where is this great financial blessing going to come from or where you know what's coming next right what's the next podcast where is it going to come from you know and and so sitting in that feminine energy instead of like well now I've got to force this to happen if I don't hurry up get this done this done this done then and if it isn't right then I've blown it no it's about Sure, I'm going to do my part, but I'm also going to be open to watching and receiving the gifts that are there and they are coming to me. Yeah, that makes sense. I resonate with that a lot. I think for me too, just it, it never really, never really crossed my mind as a kid because I grew up in a, you know, pretty patriarchal household where it was clear who held the power in, in our households, namely my dad. And so I only saw power represented in that masculine way. And that wasn't me. I'm not naturally a masculine. Like there are women who have more of that masculine energy, but I'm not, not really one of them. And so I really saw it as a choice between power, you know, masculine power or no power. <laughs> so for me, I appreciated that feminine power course because it helped me realize no, there, there's a third option. You know, there's a third option of leaning into that feminine energy and that feminine power and that there is power there. It looks very different from that sort of dominating, aggressive, competitive, authoritarian power that we see in the masculine realm, but it's powerful nonetheless. So I, yeah. I learned a lot in that respect. How has your, yeah, how has your just your own personal empowerment expanded in these, in these past years? 
Well, I think it really expanded when I took that course. And I also had, I reached out and I found a marketer and I was actually doing joyful relationship coaching. And so that was actually bringing the feminine back to many women that are really forcing, like I was trying to force relationships and force things. And so I found a beautiful marketer who happened to be plant-based and just she was really into really healthy raw eating. And so that was beautiful. The universe brought her to me. And, and so, yeah, I, I don't, what was the question now? I mean, <laughs> <laughs> uh, your, your own empowerment, just oh, your okay. own personal yeah. empowerment. Okay. Yeah. So she, that's what I was talking about. Stephanie <laughs> treasure. So she, she said, all right, let's get you doing these live streams. And I was like, oh my gosh, no. And, and, but I did it. I did it. I started doing the live streams a few years ago and now it's no big deal. And she was like, let's get on some podcasts. And I thought, who's going to want to talk to me? Right? <laughs> but then when I started doing that too, I was shocked that she was right. People did want to hear from me. So, right, right. Myself included. <laughs> right. Yes, exactly. So it's a blessing. And, and it was great. She's a very strong, beautiful woman and very confident. However, yeah, man, she's full of the feminine energy. She's strong, but graceful and elegant. And wise. What, what's her name? If you're comfortable yeah. sharing it, Stephanie treasure. Okay. So, so she is a treasure. <laughs> yeah, she is a treasure. Yes. <laughs> she's very, very just epitome of feminine energy. So that, that was a blessing. And so it all comes together when you need it, because I had stepped away from the feminine, like many others thinking the feminine is weak and, and society views the feminine as weak. So mm -hmm. I, I believed it. I don't want to be like that. I've got to railroad some guy into being with me. <laughs> <Right>? <laughs> so, yeah. So nevertheless, uh, things have really shifted. And, and the universe taught me how to embrace my feminine because the universe, who I think is feminine, brought in all these guides for me, like Stephanie and then the Claire Zamet program, right? And all these beautiful elements for me to learn from. So tell us about your live stream. Who do you have on there? And what's that experience been like for you? Well, it's been really fun. So I, I, the rough days were the rough draft days were me when I was doing the joyful relationship coaching. So I still have some of those with leading experts in the relationship field. And, but now I'm focused on vegan empowerment. So I've had Victoria Moran. So she's, that was a really great one. And um, Dr. Angela Crawford, who's another feminine power sister. Uh, Angela Fischetti, who's a, she's a. Yeah, she was, uh, she was one of my guests a few weeks ago. In fact, she was the one who introduced me to you. Yes. And she's a powerhouse, but yeah, she she's is. got that, that joyful, that, that woman, you know, that, that joyful woman. <laughs> oh yeah. She's yeah. just bursting with it. Yeah. She's a, she's a force of nature. She's incredible. Right. Yes. And so uh, I've got, I've had Dr. Will Tuttle on there. In fact, he came here to Atlanta and I got to present him at my church was a blessing. Oh, and very nice. Very nice. Yeah, yeah. He was in Nashville just a couple of months ago. I helped organize an, an event where he and I both spoke. He was the keynote speaker. And then I did, I did an introductory talk because I'm not sure if you're familiar with my novel, Marrying Myself which is a novel, but it definitely has, has a theme of, of self-love and honoring ourselves. Um, so yeah, mm. he's been very supportive of, of my path as an author and, you know, gave me some lovely, a lovely review of my book. And, and so we did a joint event here in Nashville, which was great. Um, so what has your coaching been like and what kind of transformations have you seen in people? I do one-on-one -on -one coaching and I have, have clients from all over the world, which is amazing. And that's thanks to Zoom. So thank you, Zoom. <laughs> <laughs> and so we work on, well, we do inner healing, but we also work on activism too. We have a specific goal at the end of the three months, what we're going to get done. So one of my clients now is working on um, producing beautiful videos, which are amazing, just and it's such a joy to be with her. 
and I just finished a group coaching program. And right off, right before this call, I had a beautiful email, someone saying how it changed her life. So uh-huh. it makes me so happy because of that power of the group. And, you know, that alone, the aloneness that we feel. But when you get in there and you see that we're all having setbacks and all of us are trying, like we're, we're trying to move forward. Yeah. And how did it go? Well, it didn't go the way we wanted. Okay. Well, we're all here to support you. Right. So it was that, that I think that was what was so powerful for her mm-hmm. and, and being able to step more into that self-love, which is beautiful. So I love these programs and I've got another one coming up um, at the, coming up at the end of the June. So, but yeah, I'm, I'm scheduling them all the time. I'm also going to start uh, a weekly call where people can come in on zoom and ask questions. Get your oh, questions that's great. Questions. Yeah. There's nothing like that live interaction and yes. one, you know, real time feedback. So how often do you do your live stream? Is it on a regular schedule? Yeah, it's at Thursdays at one and it's, if you can't catch it live, it's on YouTube on my vegan empowerment channel. So yeah, and I'm doing whole food plant-based people also. So the guests on the live stream are from all sorts of areas, vegan areas, whole food plant-based areas. They're activists. I want people to understand that or to know that you don't have to be out there protesting on the streets. You don't have to be in anyone's face. There's many other options like producing videos or writing letters or lobbying. So I have had the blessing of having these great guests, you know, musicians, lobbyists, all actors, all sorts of vegans sharing their activist journeys to inspire Mm. Right. And that's so important because just like we were discussing with the feminine and masculine varieties of power, there's so many different paths to activism that are all very powerful in their own ways and and serve a purpose. And at the same time, we can, you know, tailor to who we are and what our natural interests and strengths are. Like you're saying, we don't have to be in someone's face, you know, confronting <laughs> people, you know, going into a McDonald's restaurant. <laughs> we can. Right. And it's preferable it. that we don't. <laughs> right. <laughs> well, I mean, I think that serves a purpose as well. Yeah. You know, I really think that a lot of different approaches, you know, serve serve their own purpose and may plant seeds. And if any of us knew the perfect way to carry the message, then we'd have done it and the world would be vegan. (laughs) I know, huh? But yeah, I do the protests too. Um, But I I just try to not, I mean, like when I say not in their face, I mean, not too much in their face, you know, uh, I think what what the coaching is about is really, yes, is really trying to spread the seeds in a way that they can, then they can grow. And it's hard. Right. I get frustrated too when people say, oh no, I'll never give up cheese. No, I feel triggered by that statement. But, but I have to gulp and say, I was one of those too, right? I have right. to just say, okay. Right. <laughs> so. Right. Yeah. And for me, that always brings me back to a point of humility, thinking about my own journey and the things I used to do. And the very unevolved thoughts that used to run through my head, like, well, what's wrong with using animals? Like maybe killing them is immoral, but using them, what's wrong with, you know? So yeah, I'm, (laughs) I'm certainly no one to judge and I've definitely transformed a lot, but I think you make a great point just about respect being integral to our message, because how can we carry a message of respect for non-human animals, if we don't do so with respect for our fellow human animals, it's just. Yeah. yeah. That's what veganism is. What right. I believe. And you know, it's, right. it's about love for all. Right. And I love right. you know, to Will Tuttle talking about the slaughterhouse workers and loving them and seeing them as part of the whole, right. Those are hurt people. And how yeah. can we separate when we separate then there's no hope. We have to see ourselves as one unit. How can we heal others so that all are healed? Right. Right. Yeah. And I think for me, yeah, recognizing that's something that had occurred to me at one point. I remember hearing just about how slaughterhouse workers, you know, at the end of the day, they're covered in blood. And I just remember thinking, 
how can that be? I wasn't vegan at that point, but I just remember thinking, how can that be good for anyone's soul or just being, you know, that just seems wrong on its face. And yeah. And yet it's just how our society functions these days. It's, it's very, very strange as there's a lot that can boggle the mind if you dwell on it, but that's, that's inspiring that you've channeled all of that negativity into positive action. So how have you evolved with your relationships? What do things look like for you now romantically? Well, I have a boyfriend and I don't feel the pressure to get married. (laughs) I feel like and I, where I used to feel like oh, I've got to get married, I have to do this. It's now it's more everything's relaxed. And when the time comes right now, I'm really concentrating on my journey and and growth, my growth journey and getting things more like where I'm getting my coaching programs up and going and on more on a more stable basis. Because I haven't only, I've only I haven't even been doing this two years the vegan empowerment coaching. That's so, amazing. You've come so far so fast. I love it. Well, thanks. I'm very blessed. It's because of the vegan community. They were, mm. they were so inviting. Definitely. They wow. were so inviting. And that's why, that's why I've had these great connections so quickly. So that's what I mean. Like I'm taking things very slowly. It's a lot coming in mm-hmm. and he's a, he's a musician and he is, um, he's not vegan. He's, he's trying so hard to be, but he's caught up in the, the, the usual things that catch us, hang us up, that hang us up. And he protein, he, well, well, the, the, the sugar addictions and the, the, oh, you know, the, meat addictions and the yeah. you know, the, the dairy addictions. So yeah, that, um, but yeah, he's, he's doing his own musical thing. I'm um, learning sound journeys and, and so I think that's a beautiful thing to do thing to do and give that to the vegan community and offer it to the animals. Cause I'm the leader of the animal ministry. So I'm like, all right, time to play for the animals. <laughs> so what is, what does that mean? What is an animal ministry precisely? So at unity North, I'm, it's a blessing that they had, they have a animal ministry. And so I signed up to be a volunteer a few years ago and I, I became a member and then like the week after I became a member, I got a phone call and I was like, oh, good. They're going to ask me to volunteer. I can't wait. <laughs> and so I remember Susan, her name is Susan. And she said, hey, I, I see you all over the internet. And I have a question for you. And I said, yeah, what is it? And she said, well, I, I'm looking for a lead for the animal ministry. And I almost fell out of my chair. I was like, oh my gosh, talk about the universe, right? Wow. <laughs> yeah. Wow is right. And so we have a service every other month and next month we're going to have a, a pig. Um, Julie Robertson of um, she's of Georgia, Georgia animal rights is going to be bringing her pet pig to come and without saying vegan or anything about that, you know, show the lovely qualities of this beautiful pig. So every, every service we have a guest and I really try to introduce the, the, the divine nature of all animals yeah through the ministry wow the ministry bring your pets if you're ever in atlanta okay very interesting so is that part of the regular main service or is that a separate service it's a separate service it's it's outside in the labyrinth okay oh very nice how many people come sometimes about 20 if we're on the on the busiest, which is the blessing, sometimes there's 50, you know, but, nice. but about 20 regular ones. So it's, yeah. it's wonderful. I bet the kids would love that. Yeah. They love it when we have different animals, like the snake. We had a, wow. a on. they all came to see Flo. She represented transformation at, in January, the shedding of the skin. So that was nice. And I really try to incorporate these, the essence of each animal. So I really need to think about what am I going to say about about our sweet pig guest? Yeah, I have I have a couple of friends here in Nashville who have um, companion pigs, and they've I've learned a lot about pigs because some of them are very sweet. But you know, for instance, actually my first guest on Vegan Posse um, was a guy named a personal trainer named Nick, and they have. 
they live with a pig named Abby, whom they love, but it sounds like Abby's pretty ornery and possessive. So they're they're people. They're like people, you know, they have their they have their qualities and they have their ways and right. Yes. And I I I had to be aware of that, making sure that this that this sweet pig is going to be able to get along with the dogs. And yes, and I think if as long as everything goes well, then he's very relaxed. Julie said mm-hmm. so. Mm-hmm. Uh, luckily, he's he's got a good personality. So yeah. And how fun. do you like? How do you make sure that you know you don't end up feeling like you're exploiting these animals? You know who are being presented at the ministry, like the snake, for instance. I'm trying to think how a snake could be you know, presented in a way that's. Well, that's very hard. In fact, yes. I mean, someone, we had birds and I was very torn. It's very hard because, so I have to keep my role as the animal ministry leader, because that gives me a voice and a platform form. So it's, it's a hard line to walk. I, for, I know that our snake was, um, was my friend's son. So she took over the snake so yeah I don't advocate buying animals definitely not you know so and personally I mean that's my personal belief so I don't know how much I could say that at the church right because I'm representing the church so I mean I could say it behind the scenes or if one-on-one that's what I personally believe but then I have to be the leader i mean not have to be but i'm the leader of the animal ministry so yeah yeah companion things so it's hard for me and I, I struggle with that and really try to do my best but another thing that that i'll never forget is the perfectly imperfect so i am perfectly imperfect and i just do the best i can right right yeah it's it's so interesting like i remember another guest i had on the podcast was this lovely um 12 year old girl named emma who had had an interesting experience at the Nashville Bench Fest because one of one of the local sanctuaries had brought this calf to the Bench Fest to kind of advertise the sanctuary, which was great in the sense that they were trying to help animals. But, you know, this 12-year-old girl was saying to the people there, this calf is a baby and and she should be home with his mom, with her mom. You know, why is she here with a bunch of strangers in this crowded room at, you know, a veg fest? That's not really (laughs) thinking about animals. So it's, it, it is very interesting how tricky it can be just, you know, really not losing sight of that fundamental respect that we have for the animals and, you know, to be careful of saying, okay, well, the end justifies the means because overall I'm going to be helping, you know, animals, even if this one calf has, you know, uh, a tough day being around a bunch of strangers, but it's, yeah, it's, it's very interesting, but I think you're absolutely right in that we're living in a world where he, we're flawed human beings living in a very flawed world. And so we're going to do some bumbling and all we can do is just try to stay in touch with our with our conscience and our vegan conscious conscience and do the best we can. Um, one thing that you had mentioned was this feeling of um, connectedness with the vegan community and, you know, just isolation in general. I'm just wondering one question I like to pose to people is whether you would say you feel more or less alone as a vegan. I feel more connected more mm-hmm. or less a lot more, more. <laughs> like like compared to compared to when you were not vegan well I feel much happier so that makes me feel and I yeah, know yeah. right and I, I can't always be with vegans but I know I mean I, I'm thankful for online because mm-hmm. I always can reach out and and people I, I talk to vegans all day long so I feel very connected and I know that when I'm, I'm not able to do something that someone else is, that's giving me so much relief that if I'm not able to help this animal, someone else will help. It doesn't have to be me because I know that, that you're over here in Nashville, Chrissy, and that we've got, you know, Shanice, she's over there in I think Ohio. And then we've got like 
Julian, who actually I work with him, he's working to build a sanctuary for all the strays in Uganda. So knowing that everyone's doing their part gives me so much peace of mind. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's a really nice way to look at it. Yeah. It's for me. I mean, I know books have been written on this subject, but it is an interesting sort of dichotomy because obviously as vegans, we're the minority. So in that sense, you know, I do often feel very separate from the rest of society. And and part of that feeling of separateness was why was the reason that I launched this podcast was to help people realize, no, there's a whole posse of individuals around the world who are living, living this way and thinking about compassion and thinking about justice. And, um, so there is, yeah, for me, it's kind of, I hold both, you know, I feel, feel separate in some ways, but I, I would say I definitely feel more connected in the more significant ways. Um, so it's, yeah, it's, it's an interesting, complex journey, but one I one I wouldn't trade for the world, that's for sure. So what have you been some of your most rewarding vegan experiences? You've already shared a number of them, but anything else you'd like to touch on? Well, it was well, it helping Julius in Uganda. So so many people come to me asking for money and and here was this little guy and he wanted to be in one of my workshops to learn more about how to be a voice for animals. And so we worked together in the workshop. Then I invited him to my, my group coaching program and I got to know him. He wasn't someone just asking for money. In fact, he didn't ask for money for a long time. Eventually he, <laughs> he helped me, but this was after a long time. How and old, how old was he? He's eight. He was 18, I think. I think he's 19 now. Okay. 20. Yeah. Yeah. But not more than 20. So he is working so hard in Uganda to make money. And he, he was in one of my coaching classes and his heart is just gold. And it's so different. I mean, than most young men, his age that, I mean, it took me forever to learn, it seems like, but he's already awakened. And so now he's putting together a sanctuary. We're raising money. We've raised about $1,100 to buy land because the government of Uganda is poisoning animals. And so he has found a place with a, and there's an older gentleman helping us with some dogs down there now but we need to get the land and start building the sanctuary so that was like such a a big moment for me to be able to work with Julius and to get to know him and see how hard he's doing he's trying to go to school you know the university take care of his mom and his little sister doesn't have a father so being a part of his life and helping him and helping all these animals is really a dream come true Wow. What kind of, what kind of animals is the government poisoning? Dogs and cats. And I know that there's goats eating out of the landfills. So yeah. Wow. Wow. It's really sad. Wow. Yeah. And the power of online community really is incredible because how else would you ever have discovered this, you know, young man, halfway across the world, you know, I know you're right. How would I help in this way? Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Oh, that's amazing. What a story. All right. Well, Marikisa, where can people find out more about you and your coaching services? So it's on my website. Um, My name was marikitasolis.com. And then I have empowered vegans group empowered vegans voices of strength for mother earth on facebook so you can find me there i spend a lot of time in my group really trying to to support and help vegans i'm on linkedin youtube i have my youtube channel and that's where the live streams are so you can find me there and Great. Yeah, okay we'll those- include yeah we'll include all of that information in the show notes so we'll make sure people can access your services. And what would you say the advantages are between the one-on-one coaching versus the group coaching? Well, one-on-one, you get more specialized time with me. If you're really having a lot of these triggers and a lot of blocks 
where we can spend more time focused on that and that, than the group. So I mean, we could do both, you know, yeah, really, if you come to me, we'll figure out what's best for you and we can mm. make up, you know, a program for you, depending nice. on because everyone's different. Right, right. All right. Well, it's been wonderful chatting with you and hearing about your vegan journey. Final question, which I pose to all of my guests. Is there a particular word that for you sums up what being vegan is all about? I think it's unity. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Good one. Good one. I haven't heard that one before on the podcast. That's yeah, that's a good one. I think that that's what it's all about. It's, it's so easy to forget we're connected and somehow remembering that connection solves so many problems that seem intractable. So, all right. Well, thank you so much, Marikita Solis. Um, we close every episode by taking 30 seconds of silence for all of the suffering animals, human and non-human who desire, as we all do, safety, happiness, and the freedom to live out their lives without interference. So Marikita, I invite you to join me in 30 seconds of silence for the animals, and we'll conclude with the sound of the bell. Thank you. Thank you, Marikita, and thank you, Posse. See you next time. Until then, stay strong and stay true. Thank you.